Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode of The Serial Dynasty is sponsored by Sean T. Fitness. Sean T. Fitness does more than just create workout programs. Sean T. is a skilled motivator and wants to see you succeed. Visit Sean's website, seantfitness.com, to download free music, get workout tips, order workout DVDs, and much, much more. Make sure you go visit seantfitness.com so Sean can help you get motivated to dig deeper. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Serial Dynasty. Once again, I want to thank you all for your participation in the show. I received a ton of emails this week with information on Roy Davis. I've also noticed a considerable spike in the number of downloads per episode, so I want to thank you all for sharing the Serial Dynasty with your friends. The larger this audience gets, the more soldiers we have to put our heads together and solve this case. Now, on today's show, as promised, we're going to highlight suspect Roy Sharoni Davis III. But real briefly, before we do that, I want to ask a favor of all of you. I'm asking you to give me a few minutes at the start of the show here to listen in on a conversation between me and Sean T. And the reason that I want to do that is I want all of you to hear the sincerity behind why Sean T is sponsoring this program. Earlier this week, Sean called in to record an ad spot. And he and I got to chatting, and the conversation ended up going on for nearly an hour. We talked about the case, we talked about his programs, and we never really ended up recording an ad. So what I've done is I've pieced together a few small bits out of that conversation, and that's going to be our ad from Sean T. Fitness this week. I asked Sean if it was okay for me to air parts of our conversation, and of course he was fine with that. But over the last month or so, I've really gotten to know Sean, and he's just an incredible human being. And I would love for you all to have the opportunity to take a look inside of Sean's life and see what kind of a guy he really is. So up next, you're going to hear a short conversation between me and Sean. And like I said, it's an hour-long conversation that I cut down to a few minutes, so you'll notice some edit points in there. And then after the conversation, we're going to get into the show, and there'll be no more breaks for the rest of the show. So I want to thank you in advance for taking a few minutes to listen to this, and I promise it's not taking away any of the content from the show. The show will be as long as the amount of information that I have on Roy Davis regarding the case this week. So sit back for just a few minutes and listen in on my conversation with Sean T. What's up, Bob? What's happening? I just, I just, you know, this whole case is frustrating because, you know, thank God we have you and Robbie and Susan and Colin and, you know, just, just kind of the whole team that's trying to get behind Adnan and prove his innocence. But when it comes down to it, the minute someone says you're guilty of something, you forever will be guilty to someone. Right. And that's why this whole, that's why this entire process has it just eats at me at the core because I'm like, this man is in jail. You know, there's really no, I mean, 
there's no evidence to say that he killed her. And even with the team around him, you know, proving his innocence and, and, and doing, you know, the investigating and saying, hey, look, here's proof that he didn't do it. When or if, you know, God willing, he's released from jail and didn't kill Hay, it's like no matter what, he's still people are still going to think he's guilty of it. Like he's never going to live it down from, you know, from people not doing their job. You know, and it's oh it's, yeah, it's and there, there's people that are gonna that are gonna always maintain that he's this evil killer, and it's it's almost impossible to if you think about it, it's impossible to prove something didn't happen once they decided he did it, and then they take every little thing to try and make it look like he did it. You're just chasing your tail trying to prove that something didn't happen. Right, right. That's exactly the point. And it's, I mean, we hope that you know the judge that's going to have this case is going to be not part of the craziness that happens in the Baltimore you know, legal district. Uh, yeah, and it's in the saddest part about the whole thing that just continually just eats at me is if he had had a team doing what's being done now, then he would have never been convicted. It's such an uphill battle now to try to undo what's been done. But if he didn't, instead of instead of Christina Gutierrez, if he had Robbie and Susan and Colin as his legal team, he would have never been convicted. He probably never would have went to trial. It's yeah. so stressful. And I'm like, I don't even know these people. You know what I'm saying? I just, for me, it's, I just care so much about humans that, and the well-being of humans that just the slightest bit of, you know, off-centeredness, it just like really gets to the core of my, like the belief that I just, I just think life should be fair, but it's not, so. When you think about this much of an injustice and, and I, I can't get past the fact that these were, you know, especially Adnan, you know, Hay losing her life and then Adnan at 17 years. I mean, I'm only three years older than him. And it's like, man, everything I've done in my life would have been sitting in a prison cell if this same yeah. thing happened to me. And it just kills me to think about it. <sighs> it just makes me sigh. What did you think about the the last couple ads? I haven't talked to you since. Were they all right? I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. I have no... I love, I loved, especially when your wife came on and it was great. It was great, 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 great. Oh, good. She was so nervous and I was so proud of her. She did, she, I thought she did awesome. You know, she initially, was, like, in the very first time she said hello, I thought she sounded nervous, but then actually when she started just talking about the program and, you know, I, I always like think it, I think it's interesting because I was driving in my car when I was listening. And she, and you said, you know, what do you think of Sean T and, and how it, it's like, it's almost like I blush, even though one, no one else is around it. But yeah. at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, like somebody actually get, like people actually understand why, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I truly want to motivate them. You know, I just, right. I really, I just really believe, you know, and I just love how, did you say you lost 10 pounds? Yeah, I lost uh I lost five pounds the first week, five more pounds the second week. Last week I didn't my pants fit looser, my shirts fit looser, but I got on the scale Saturday and I was the same weight as I was the Saturday before. So I don't know if it's I don't know what caused the plateau in weight, but I I can see the difference, but it didn't show up on the scale last week. But as of this last Saturday, I'm down ten pounds. It's very, very, very normal. Uh so what happens is your body shape starts to change because you're building muscle you're getting rid of fat, but you're not necessarily losing weight. You know what I'm saying? Because your muscle is becoming more dense because it's, 
you know, it's, it's just not. And a lot of times in that first two weeks, you lose weight really quick because your body's like, what the heck? You know what I'm right. saying? Like, what are you doing to me? Yeah. And it's different. But now you'll definitely lose weight between, you'll definitely lose weight this week. My only, you know, I like to tell everyone this, and you know, it's like now that you've been doing it and you know, you kind of know the routines now, I want you to go a little bit harder, go deeper into the squats, try to jump a little bit higher, try to get some more reps in, uh, make sure your push-ups are like in a great range of motion, like all the way down, all the way up. Like you should almost like, you always want to try to focus on making yourself feel like you did on the first couple of days where you're like, oh my God, this is hard. And Dripping you and sweat. Yeah. yeah, but you want to like, you want to push yourself to feel that every time. Yeah. And that's why exercise is so, you know, it's, exercise is hit or miss for a lot of people, believe it or not, because they get discouraged because the the very thing you said about the weight and the, you know, they don't see the weight change, but they see the inches coming off. But I always, also, I like to tell people, you still are in control of, you know, I'm I'm giving you the exercise to do, but you're still in control of the movement. So now you have to push yourself. You have to really focus. And in T25, you say keep nailing it. Like you want to finish every workout. Like yo, I just slaughtered that thing. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And it's normally Becky because Becky's doing um, finishing up Insanity Max 30 now, and she's done with that. She wants to try size. Um, but she's been doing that in the morning and then doing T25 with me in the afternoon. But like today she was out, so I was doing it by myself. And when, when there's nobody there, there's those couple times where you're like, Oh God, I'm tired. I'm just going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, nobody's watching. I'm going to chill out for a minute. But then it's like, just even you, the way you're talking on the DVD and everything, it's just like, no, just, just keep going. Come on. You're, you're going to feel better if you just, if you just push this out, just push I it know. out. And it's, it's, well, I'm always watching Bob. I'm always <laughs> watching. <laughs> I'd like if you could talk about size a little bit, because because Becky and I haven't done that one yet, so I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, if you can kind of explain what size is all about. I wanted to create size because I like to inspire so many different kinds of people, and I want people to know that exercise isn't just, um, you know, power jumps or push-ups or, you know, just riding a bike or running. You know, people like a lot of different things, and size is dance, and our dance is just, I just love it. It's just so fun. Even if you don't really know how to do it, you know, to be able to, to dance in the privacy of your own home is really fun. So what I wanted to do with sizes, not only keep people that already do my workouts inspired, but really bring in a new, um, just kind of a new kind of person who needs, you know, an, an open door. You know, they just need to walk into the world of fitness and dance and choreography is something that so many people like to do, but it's just not readily available. And so, you know, there's nothing better than learning a routine and dancing to a song that you like know and love and, you know, kind of getting dressed up for your workout because inside, like, you know, we have this, we have a certain style and a certain flavor and I like to really break down the moves at the end. You have this popular song that you can dance through and, it's just really, really, really fun. And, you know, we I kind of just finished up my size test group because with all of my fitness programs, what we do is we do anywhere from, depending on how long the program is, but anywhere from 30 to 60 to 90 days of people doing the workout and doing the nutrition plan that it comes with and making sure they get the results that they want. So we could, when we put it on TV, we can let people know what they can expect and, you know, I mean, I have one person who was 62 pounds, some 40 pounds, 30 wow. pounds, and 
just from dancing because it's something that you don't dread when you wake up, you know? I mean, even though your wife probably loves T25 and loves insanity, there's probably days where she thinks in the head like, oh, Shanti's going to kick my butt today, you know? <laughs> but with dance, but with dance, there's people who think like that and then they're just kind of like, you know what? I don't even feel like I'm working out. That's why we hit the tagline for it is the end of exercise because you can just dance, dance away the pounds. So I love it and I want people to try it. Oh, that sounds great. Well, that is going to be our next step in the rough household. Uh, Becky's already got yeah, it. Yeah, I can't wait to see videos of this. <laughs> you know, Be- <laughs> Becky will kill me if I, if I videotape her doing it, but I might just risk it for you. Yeah, just send it to me. You don't have to send it to the listeners. <laughs> all right, that sounds great. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for checking in today, Sean, and telling us about size. And for all you listeners, go out and get it. It's a good way to get your exercise in and not feel like you're exercising. That's right. Well, good luck. Stay focused on T25. And, um, again, thanks for keeping everyone up to date on the Adnan Syed Haley case. Okay, thank you all for taking the few minutes to listen to that conversation. I hope you see now, if you hadn't already before, why I'm so passionate about advertising for Sean and also why he's so passionate about sponsoring this show. So all of you listening, if you could just do me a favor, go take a look at SeanTFitness.com and see what he has to offer. If you're not interested in purchasing a workout video, go check out the site. You can download some free music. Then he follows that up with sending you some workouts to go along with that music and sending you some inspirational and motivational things through email after that. Again, that website is SeanTFitness.com. And now, let's get on with the show. Last week on the Serial Dynasty, I sent out a call to action for all of you listeners to send me everything you had, everything that you know about Roy Sharoni Davis III. As I've mentioned in the coming weeks, we're going to highlight individual suspects and try to look at them without the confirmation bias in our minds that Adnan was already convicted of this crime. We're taking a new look at evidence, a new look at the suspects. So what do we know about Roy Sharoni Davis? Well, we don't know a whole lot about Roy, but we do know one very big thing. That just a few months before Heyman Lee was found strangled in a wooded park, another 18-year-old Woodlawn student, Jada Lambert, was also found strangled in a wooded park. So the first thing that we're going to do today is look at the similarities between these two crimes. Now, like I said, I've received hundreds and hundreds of emails this week from listeners with information on Roy Davis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak about the different pieces of evidence that were pulled out of some of these emails and cite the individuals who sent the information along. What I mean by that is I'm not going to read through entire emails because given the fact that there was a lot of evidentiary issues that were presented in these emails, it would get fairly mundane for me to read all of them to you. So I'm not going to read the emails other than I have one that I'd like to read at the end. I'm just going to bring out the facts and let you know who sent the information along. Now, like I said, we don't have a whole lot of concrete information about Roy Davis. Aside from receiving all of these emails from all of you listeners, as always, I've tried to do a lot of research myself on this, and a lot of that time was spent fact-checking evidence that was presented in those emails. But the major struggle that I've run into is that we just know very little about Jada Lambert's murder. A few newspaper clippings, and really that's it. 
What I was looking for were trial transcripts that I could read through to get a better idea about the details of Jada Lambert's murder in that trial. What I found out is that it appears that there are no transcripts. Not that no one has them, but that there aren't any. It seems that no one ever took the time to transcribe Roy Davis's trial for the murder of Jada Lambert, which really shocked me when I figured this out. Uh, but what I found out is that in Maryland, all of the trials are audio taped, but they don't always convert the audio tape to a written transcript unless requested. In this particular trial, they just never transcribed the audio recording of the trial. And from what I've seen, no one has access to the audio tapes of the trial. So I'll let you know up front that we definitely do not know very much at all about Jada Lambert's murder. Now, with all that being said, let's go ahead and move on to what we do know about Roy Davis. I received an email from Zach, whose Twitter handle is at WildZach. And that's W-I-L-D-E-Z-A-C-H. Zach sent an email and really laid out a lot of bullet points that really kind of put this into a concise order. What I'd like to draw out of Zach's email was a section that he put together labeled Profile, where he listed the similarities between the Jada Lambert and the Heyman Lee murder that we do know about. We know that both Jada Lambert and Heyman Lee were 18 years old. We also know that they were both students at Woodlawn High School. We know that both of them were intercepted and possibly murdered in broad daylight. Both of them were last seen driving their cars, and in both cases, they had no known reason to stop anywhere. Both Jada Lambert and Heyman Lee had to pass Liberty Road while en route to their final destination. And for those of you that aren't aware, at the time of the murder, as far as we know, and this is based on court records, at the time of the murder, Roy Davis resided on Liberty Road, which was just a few blocks from both Jada Lambert as well as Heyman Lee. In both cases, there was no actual evidence as to how the killer got into the car. Both Jada Lambert and Heyman Lee died from manual strangulation, and both of them were buried in a forested park. And I'll add to that, they were both buried in a forested park near a stream. Now, of course, we all know that Heyman Lee's body was found buried in Leakin Park, just up the hill from a stream. Jada Lambert's body was not buried in Leakin Park, was actually buried in, I believe it was Herring Run Park, which is just a few miles to the east. But a similar park, very wooded, and I should correct what I just said about her being buried in that park. Jada Lambert's body was actually found in the stream. Now there's been a lot of buzz all over the internet speculating that her body was drugged to the stream by animals. However, I was not able to corroborate that with any factual source documents, so we don't know that for sure. And both cases involved an anonymous phone call. So I want to thank Zach for putting together that very organized and thoughtful email. And there was a lot more to it, but I want to spread the love around, so to speak, because there was a lot of other listeners who emailed some of the other information to me that was also included in Zach's email. But so real quickly, again, just to summarize, in both cases, both victims were 18-year-old females from Woodlawn High School. They were last seen driving their car. Both of their routes would have went past Liberty Road, which is the street that, as far as we know, Roy Davis lived on at the time. In both cases, they were intercepted in broad daylight. In neither case was there any actual evidence as to how the killer got into the car. Both were manually strangled. Both bodies were either dumped or buried in forested parks near streams. 
and both cases involved anonymous phone calls. Now, you may be asking yourself, why in the world did the police not look at Roy Davis in Heyman Lee's murder? And I'm sure 99% of you listening know this answer, but for any of you that don't or are not aware of this, Jada Lambert's murder was still unsolved at the time when Heyman Lee was murdered, meaning the police had no idea that Roy Davis was the one that actually committed this murder. Had they known that, I'm quite certain they would have narrowed in on him. He would have been a very likely suspect. And as the story goes, it was several years later, I believe four years later, after the murder of Jada Lambert in 2002, when some sort of a grant funded the Baltimore Police Department to test some DNA that hadn't been tested in some unsolved cases. I don't have the details on the grant, but from what I've read, I believe it was somewhere around a $350,000 grant to help solve some of these cold cases. So Jada Lambert was raped, and so there was DNA that, just like in Hayes' case, the Baltimore PD never bothered to test. So they go ahead and they test the DNA, and it comes back as a match to Roy Sharoni Davis III. And the reason that they know this is that later in 1999, Roy Davis was arrested for armed robbery, and at the time of the DNA test was serving a 10-year sentence. Because of this armed robbery, if I understand things correctly, his DNA was already loaded into a statewide or national database. So when the DNA was tested from Jada Lambert, it came back to a match for Roy Davis. At that point, a blood sample was taken from Roy Davis in prison and tested, and again it confirmed the match. At that point, charges were filed against Roy Davis for the murder and rape of Jada Lambert. He went to trial shortly thereafter and was convicted, and he's now serving a life sentence. Now, oddly enough, it's only fair to point this out, when reading the newspaper articles, I noticed a glaring difference between an Anand Syed's murder trial. You'll remember in Anand's case, the jury deliberated for two to three hours and quickly came back with a guilty verdict. However, in Roy Davis's trial, the jury had sent notes to the judge on at least two occasions telling them that they could not reach a verdict, that they had a hung jury. And the judge requested that they keep deliberating and they eventually did convict Roy Davis unanimously of first-degree murder. It's puzzling to me why it would have taken so long to convict Roy Davis, especially when you compare it to how quickly the jury convicted Anon. From my understanding, and like I said, we have no trial transcripts, all I have to go on is a few small newspaper clippings from the Baltimore Sun, but it seems there was a question as to whether the sex with Jada Lambert was consensual. And also there were arguments made by Davis's legal team as to whether it was constitutional the way in which they got his DNA. Yet nonetheless, we know beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond any doubt, that Roy Davis committed this crime. In this case, we had solid DNA evidence that was a conclusive match to Roy Davis. And I'll tell you a frustrating thing for me is that in, again, I believe it was 2002, when this grant funded this DNA testing, it sure would have been nice if the DNA that had went untested in the Haley murder case would have gotten tested through that grant. However, after making a few phone calls, I had a bit of a smack-my-head moment when I was told that the reason that case wouldn't have been included in that was because the case was closed. As far as the prosecution and the state was concerned, they had already solved this case and the murderer was already behind bars so they wouldn't waste the resources to test the DNA. If only they knew then what we know now. Moving along with what we know about Roy Davis, in an email I received from someone that only addressed herself as Amanda, 
She reminds us of the information that was addressed and undisclosed, that there was an ATM across the street from where Roy Davis lives, and that as far as we know, Heyman Lee had not deposited the check she had picked up a week or so before from LensCrafters at the time of the murder. Now, we can't say conclusively that that check hadn't been cashed. We know that it was not deposited into her account like all of her other paychecks had been on the day or the day after she received the check. However, we don't know for sure if the check had not been simply cashed somewhere. The only way that we would know if the check had been cashed would have been if the Baltimore Police Department, during the investigation, had checked with LensCrafters. LensCrafters would be able to tell whether or not that check had cleared. But since the Baltimore Police Department didn't bother to, you know, investigate anything in this case, sadly, this is something that we'll probably never know. But another piece of evidence regarding the ATM that we do have is that we know that this was an ATM that Hay frequently visited. She used it to both withdraw money and deposit checks several times previously before January 13, 1999. So that's certainly something that we need to have in the back of our minds to consider. I received another email from a, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, a Michael Mayer, last name M-A-H-E-R. And I want to give a little shout out to Michael because he's one of the listeners that consistently sends in emails with thoughts and theories all the time. And I believe this is the first email that's made the show. But I like Michael because he's he's always so engaged. I get emails from him all the time. And so, and also for the rest of you, I know I've said this before, but I want to say it again Please, even if you haven't gotten a response from me or your email hasn't been read on the show, keep sending those because I promise you I do read every single one of them and I try to send some quick responses back when I can, but there's a large volume of them and I don't always have the time to do that, but I do read them all and I do appreciate all of them. So Michael is another perfect example of that. Mike, again, has sent me lots of emails with lots of information over the past several months and it's much appreciated. One of the points that Michael made in his email was that according to court documents, and I did fact check this to verify, a previous address of Roy Davis was located just one block from a Crown gas station that's quite a bit east of town, about a 30-minute drive from Woodlawn High School. For those of you that aren't aware, there was a charge on Heyman Lee's bank records from this gas station for I believe it was a dollar and seventy one cents or somewhere around that amount. It was a small amount. And this charge on her bank records was blown up again all over the internet, all over forums and Twitter and everywhere else for a short time because the transaction was listed on her bank records as happening on January thirteenth. This was thought to be a smoking gun of sorts. But shortly after everyone got all excited about this charge, Susan Simpson to the rescue points out that if you look at the bank statement, the charge cleared on January 13th, but the actual purchase date, the transaction date, was, and I don't remember specifically, was either the 12th or the 11th, but it was the day or two days before January 13th when she went missing. So the small charge to the Crown gas station about 30 minutes away from Woodlawn High School could be a bit of a red herring, but as Michael points out, it's at least worth noting that as far as we know, at some point, Roy Davis lived just a block away from that particular gas station. And the inference there is that if Heyman Lee made a purchase at that gas station earlier that week, that possibly it was a gas station that she had frequented in the past. Again, making an inference that possibly 
that might have been somewhere where she had come in contact with Roy Davis. However, that is sheer speculation at this point. We have no evidence whatsoever that I'm aware of that Heyman Lee had ever been to that gas station before or that she had been to that gas station during the time when Roy Davis lived in that neighborhood. But again, something just to keep in the back of your head. One very interesting part of Michael's email was when he reminded me about Jen's testimony. Jen testified that when she made the calls, the air quotes, Leakin Park ping calls in the 7 o'clock hour that supposedly happened during the burial of the body, Jen testified, quote, The voice on the phone was an older male, deep, not like a kid, and it was not Jay. You'll remember this segment of her testimony was referring to when she made the call to Jay on a non-cell phone, supposedly during the burial, when someone else answered the phone and told her that Jay was busy and he would call her back when he was done. So as you all know, the stand that I made last week, that my personal belief is that Jay and Jen had no involvement in this crime whatsoever, and their testimony was 100% coerced by the police department. However, I am fully aware of the fact that not 100% of my listeners agree with me. And that's fine. As I've said many times before, just because I'm the one that is behind the microphone doesn't necessarily make me right. However, this section of the testimony is something that should pique the interest of those that agree with me and those that believe that Jay and or Jen were involved in the crime. Because if you believe that Jay and Jen were involved in the crime, then this snidmit from the trial transcripts should hold a lot of weight. You've all heard Anand's voice on Serial. Even as a fully grown man in his 30s, I don't think that I would necessarily describe Anand's voice as being deep. At the time of the murder, Adnan was a 17-year-old kid, and Jen clearly stated that the person that answered the phone had a deep voice, not like a kid. So if you believe Jen's testimony, or if you believe some of Jen's testimony, or if you believe that Jen did have some involvement in this, I think that you have to at least consider the fact that she describes an older man's deep voice on the phone when she made those calls in the 7 o'clock hour. So I wanted to make sure that I put that out there for everybody. But again, I will reaffirm the fact that that particular part of the testimony doesn't mean a whole lot to me because of the fact that I truly do not believe that Jen knows anything about this murder. But for those of you that do, there's another piece of information for you to think about. Another point in Michael's email was that in April of 1999, Roy Davis was found guilty of violating a restraining order against his 22-year-old daughter. He was sentenced to 38 days in jail, and after jail, he moved out of the Liberty Roadhouse, where his daughter lived, and then shortly after that is when he committed the armed robbery and was locked up in prison. Now, I want to point out here that Michael was not the only one that sent me this information. Uh, the same information was included in Zach's emails, several other emails. I've read about this over and over again when studying the case. And the reason that I've never brought it up before is the fact that I've never seen any source documents confirming that this is what actually happened. So I spent a couple of days this week really researching this exact point, trying to find these court documents, trying to find any sort of factually based source document that would confirm that this happened. Now, the implication here being, and not necessarily what Michael was implying, but lots and lots of listeners and lots and lots of people that are following this case, is that Roy Davis has a history of violence towards younger women. And if you consider the fact that he had a restraining order against his then 22-year-old daughter, 
that would make a lot of sense. However, after my research, the conclusion that I have come to is that this is what I refer to as a Reddit rumor. Everyone that emailed me this piece of information, I asked for source documents. And to be fair to Michael, I don't think that I actually asked Michael for a source document on this because I had already asked for it from several other listeners who had sent similar emails. And most of the sources that I got back from listeners who had emailed this information were links to Reddit threads. So I followed the links and I read the threads and I was looking for the links to the source documents and they just weren't there. So I went on to the Maryland Judiciary case search and tried to see if I could find the court documents related to this restraining order. What I finally found was a case where Roy Davis was the defendant that did indeed involve him violating some sort of restraint order. And when I read through the case files on this, what I found was that the complainant was actually Roy Davis's wife, not his daughter. And also that he was not sentenced in April of 1999. The complaint was filed in April of 1999. If I was reading the court documents correctly, it looks like Roy Davis was incarcerated on August 20th of 99, and then on September 27th, he pled guilty to the crime and was sentenced to time served, which at that point had been 38 days. And that's all there is on that document. Plaintiff, Roy's wife, charge, violation of some sort of restraining order, disposition, pled guilty, sentence, time served, which was 38 days. In some discussions that I had with other listeners, some people thought maybe the daughter had the same name. Some people made the assumption that this was domestic violence. However, I can't responsibly report that because we don't know any of that. The only thing that we have is a court document that says exactly what I just told you that it said. What I have found in searching for a lot of these cases through the Maryland search is that the state of Maryland does a pretty terrible job of record keeping. For example, in some of the cases, both the defendant and the plaintiff's birth dates are listed, and their addresses are listed. In some of the cases, they're not. In lots of the cases, names are spelled wrong. But then when you look at the case, you find that it's the same person with the same address and the same birth date. Even Adnan's birthday is still listed incorrectly in the Maryland records, which is frustrating and it makes it very difficult to try to research and find information on a lot of these old cases. But as far as the restraining order goes, and it may be something that a lot of you have read about or heard discussed or read discussions about, as far as I know, these claims are unsubstantiated. He did violate some sort of restraining order, and that's really all we know. And another quick aside, kind of relating back to Michael's earlier point about the deep voice older man answering the phone, Roy Davis would have been about 45 years old at the time of Heyman Lee's murder. So he certainly would have fit that profile. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In another email from Betty Stilt, she pointed out that Roy Davis had several arrests involving carrying a gun. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison for an armed robbery that involved a gun. And there are a few other charges earlier in the 90s where he was charged with carrying or concealing a handgun. And the point being that we know for a fact that Roy carried a gun and used it, at least used it for intimidation, both before and after Heyman Lee's murder. So what does that tell us? Well, it does tell us that while we have this lingering question about how someone got access to Hay's car, how someone would have gotten into her car. We've never been able to figure out how or why this happened. But if we consider a suspect, like Roy Davis, that answer becomes a little more clear. Certainly we wouldn't think that Heyman Lee would let a perfect stranger just into her car randomly, or possibly pick up a hitchhiker. Not that it's out of the realm of possibilities, but just knowing what we know about Hay it would seem like a bit of a leap to think that she would do something that foolish. But if you consider the fact that if a 45-year-old man pointed a gun in her face, that would certainly be a pretty easy method to convince a young girl into letting you into her car or doing whatever it is that you want her to do. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened, but as Betty pointed out in her email, that's definitely something that I think we should consider. I want to acknowledge two of my listeners. One is Stacy Solo, S-O-L-O-W, and another Megan. And I believe, I'm not positive because it's from a different email address, but judging by tone, I believe this Megan is the same Megan that we heard from back in Episode 7, The Call-In Show. However, I could be wrong about that, but quick side note about Episode 7. I still get the occasional email telling me that Episode 7 on Stitcher still has an episode of the Off-Duty Podcast instead of the Serial Dynasty Episode 7. So any of you that use Stitcher and are wondering what that's all about, I'm sorry, I apologize. I had accidentally uploaded an episode of my other podcast, which is not serious and not about this case at all, for Episode 7. I quickly realized the mistake and deleted it, and uploaded the correct episode, which seemed to fix the problem everywhere except Stitcher. I have emailed Stitcher's customer support. I have talked to them. For some reason, when they update their feed, it continually keeps bringing up the incorrect episode. So I don't know how to fix that. So if you listen to episode 7, and you came away from that shaking your head, I'm sorry, listen to it on TuneIn Radio, or go to our host site, SerialDynasty.Potomatic.com, and you can listen to the real episode 7 there. I apologize to all you Stitcher listeners. It was a mistake, and it was corrected in a matter of minutes, and it has stuck at Stitcher. So in any case, getting back to Stacy and Megan's emails, both of them sent me emails letting me know that one small detail that we do know about Jada Lambert's murder is that Roy Davis's wife cut Jada Lambert's hair. And the question that was posed was whether we could possibly know if Roy Davis's wife happened to cut Heyman Lee's hair. The thought there is that possibly Roy had come in contact with Jada Lambert 
through his wife at the salon that she worked at. And to cite that source, Megan sent me a link to the Baltimore Sun article about the conviction of Roy Davis and Jada Lambert's murder. And I'll read you everything that was written in that article regarding Roy's wife cutting Jada Lambert's hair. The ninth paragraph in the article reads as follows. Davis's then-wife styled Lambert's hair as well as her mother's. That's it. That's all we have. Which, again, is frustrating because, of course, we'd all want to know more because maybe there is a link there. But I was not able to determine from anywhere, any source, what salon Roy's wife worked at. And even if I knew that, I don't know how I would figure out whether or not Hay or Hay's family had their hair cut in the same place. Of course, we know that Jada and Hay lived in the same general neighborhood. So it's reasonable to consider the fact that maybe they went to the same salon. But again, we have no real concrete evidence to let us know if, number one, if that is how Roy became connected with Jada Lambert, and number two, if that's the case, if Heyman Lee got her hair cut in the same place. But again, along with all of the other things we've just discussed, it's another thing to consider. There is a possible link there, but it's just a possible link at this point. In another email from Victoria Salerno from Pennsylvania, she linked to the same article to point out to me that Roy Davis himself made the anonymous call to 911 in the Jada Lambert murder. So again, going back to the same Baltimore Sun article, dated July 27, 2004, the last line of the article reads, May, who was one of the attorneys involved in the case, May said the 911 call was another crucial piece of evidence. She said that Davis made the call. So again, not a whole lot to go with there. We don't have the trial transcripts. We only have these few newspaper clippings. But according to this Baltimore Sun article, there was an anonymous call made to the police about Jada Lambert's murder. And according to the article, Roy Davis himself made the call. So I guess we put that into the similarities as we discussed back at the beginning about Zach's email that one of those similarities was the fact that both cases involved an anonymous phone call. So if we're considering Roy Davis a serial killer, which I guess a brief aside about that, I hear people all the time referring to Roy Davis and Ronald Lee Moore both as serial killers, when in fact Ronald Lee Moore was a serial killer. As far as we know, Roy Davis only committed one murder, Jada Lambert which does not make him a serial killer. Now, using some of this information that we have, if it was Roy Davis who committed the murder against Taman Lee, that possibly he had a type of 18-year-old or young women, then maybe you could consider him a serial killer. I don't know the exact definition of how many people of the same type that you murder makes you a serial killer. But on the record, as far as we do know, Roy Davis was not a serial killer. He was a criminal. He was a chronic criminal, actually, when you look at his case records. But as far as we know, he only ever committed this one murder. But if he was the type of person that murdered more than just Jada Lambert, and he was a, quote, serial killer, they typically have a consistent M.O. Meaning, if his deal was to manually strangle someone, dump them in a park, and then make an anonymous phone call so the police will find her, then we could certainly draw the conclusion that it's possible that it makes sense for him to be the one that murdered Heyman Lee.
However, it's also important to point out that the anonymous phone call made in the Heyman Lee case did not actually direct the police to Hayes' body. You remember, as far as Massey stated, the anonymous phone call said they should look at the ex-boyfriend, and I believe it said that the car would be in a lake somewhere, or that he had heard that if Adnan had murdered Hay, he would dump her car in a lake, which, of course, the car was not in a lake. So we see some similarities, but we also see some differences. But then again, looking back at this at the serial killer angle, if Roy Davis was, in fact, a or of the mind of being a serial killer type, with serial killers, you often find that they make a lot of mistakes in their first murder, but the more murders they commit, they get better and better and better at covering their tracks. So if we're looking at it from that angle, we look at Jada Lambert's murder. She was dumped in a park. She was not buried. It's possible that animals moved her body out towards the stream where she could be seen. Then in Heyman Lee's murder case, she was also dumped in a forested park near a stream. However, she was not left out in the open. I can't say that she was necessarily buried. The more and more I look at the evidence in that case, I personally don't think that there were any shovels or picks or anything like that involved in the burial of Heyman Lee. Where she was buried was in a depression in the ground that actually ran all the way under the log that she was found next to. So if someone dug that hole, they would have dug the hole where she was buried that was only a few inches deep and then continued to dig it underneath the log all the way to the other side, but only put her body in the depression on the one side of the log. It looks more to me, and I haven't seen the photos, but I've read the reports that there was already a depression there. Someone might have moved some things out of the depression, put her into it, but then there were rocks put on top of her body. And it was noted in the reports from the disinterment, it actually said in the report that there were rocks put on the body, possibly to keep animals from disturbing it. So if we're looking at Roy Davis as a suspect, the fact that Jada Lambert's body possibly got moved would lead us to believe that maybe it makes more sense that when he kills again, he would correct that mistake by putting the rocks on the body. So the long and short of this is that there are a lot of things revolving around Roy Davis that might make your spidey senses start to tingle and think these two cases were very, very similar, very similar M.O., and Roy Davis is certainly a better suspect than Adnan is. If Adnan had been investigated thoroughly, I believe that the police would have discovered that he had an alibi and he was not involved. And if they were looking at that objectively, and if they, say, had known that Roy Davis was the one that had murdered J.D. Lambert, and they looked at him as a suspect, there's a lot more evidence around him that would support the idea that it's possible that he was the culprit. Now, with all that being said, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I was going to read one email. This email was sent to me by David Morgan, and I think that it's only fair, in light of all of the other evidence that we've had presented in the show today, to read David's email. David writes, Bob, another amazing podcast today. I've never heard such a coherent and convincing theory before. While I always knew that Jay was lying, obviously, and I suspected that it was because of police pressure, yours is the first explanation that puts it into the context of the whole case. 
Anyway, as to Mr. Roy Sharoni Davis. When I first heard him mention, I thought he was a very likely perpetrator. Now I'm not so sure. Supporting facts for him being Hayes' killer. He lived near her route to pick up her cousin from kindergarten. Number two, he was a convicted killer because he had killed another high school student from Woodlawn. Then he goes on to say, so let's look at those two points. Number one, he certainly owned a house in the area. He gives the address on Liberty Road. Was owned by Roy Davis and his wife at the time of the murder. But how significant was this? A. Did he actually live there? He was in all kinds of trouble at that time. There was a restraining order taken out against him by his daughter a few months later, and he has another address near downtown Baltimore on those court records. Now, we've already addressed that restraining order, but we'll move on. He goes on to say, Around the time of Hayes' murder, he was committing crimes all over Baltimore County. He may have been living at the Liberty Road address with his wife and family throughout. That's the official address on the court records at the time. But it's not certain. That address is still showing up on recent court records, even though he's been in prison for years. Also, in Undisclosed, they made a big point about Davis living right across the street from the ATM Hay may have used on her way to kindergarten. I think the ATM we're referring to was at the intersection of Liberty and Essex, and would indeed have been on the direct route from Woodlawn High School to the Early Learning Center. The problem is that the address on Liberty was five blocks away. Not very far, but certainly not right across the street. So the implication that Davis could observe people using the ATM is overstated. Yes, he lived very close, but it's a busy road and many people would have been passing at the time Hay went missing. Now I'll point out that I did try to fact check this information about the ATM and the address and I guess the best I can say is I really had no luck because I have no idea what was there in 1999. So I don't know if there was another ATM closer to the address or if this is the atm that they're referring to i really don't know but moving along number three he was a convicted killer but not yet he is a nasty evil criminal and i hope he remains incarcerated for the crimes he's been convicted of but that doesn't mean that he was any more likely to have killed hay than any other evil predator stalking west baltimore at the time Something that's never been properly explained, and I can't either, is whether his victim, Jada Lambert, actually went to Woodlawn High School. Sure, she's described in the press as being a student from Woodlawn and a high school student, but not specifically as being from Woodlawn High School. There's a comment online from years ago about her actually being murdered while a student at a high school in Northeast Baltimore, miles away from Woodlawn High School or even Baltimore County. It doesn't alter his crime, just removes one more link from Heyman Lee. In fact, the closest link I know of between Roy Davis and Woodlawn High School is that the street he lived on, before the Liberty Road address, where he first met Jada Lambert, was only a few houses away from teacher Inez Butler Hendricks. Best regards, David. So thank you, David, for that email, and I think David gives us a good kind of balance here regarding kind of the other side of the Roy Davis case. So the only conclusion that I can come up with at this point, and I'm certainly open to more information and more evidence to be emailed in to me at any time and we'll discuss it, is that I just don't know. I will say that after thoroughly looking into Roy Davis, I absolutely believe that he is a better suspect for this murder than Adnan ever was. However, with that being said, much like Adnan, all of the evidence that would indicate that he's our possible suspect is all circumstantial. No one knows what Roy Davis was doing on January 13, 1999. There are no witnesses, no documents, 
know anything that can tell us what he was doing or where he was on that day. We don't even know for sure where Roy Davis was living at the time. We know the address that was listed on some of his court records. However, there were other addresses listed. We know there was a restraining order issued at some point. We don't know if or where he was working at the time. We really don't know much other than there's a lot of circumstances and circumstantial evidence that would make him a good suspect. So at this point, what I'm left with is that he's still certainly a suspect, but nothing more than that. And the last thing regarding Roy Davis that I want to address, I had a lot of listeners email me telling me that there may be a connection to Jay and or Hay because it's possible that Roy had some family members that went to Woodlawn High School around the same time that Jay Wilds went to the school and or his relative Anthony Wilds who has been arrested with Jen Pusateri on a number of occasions. However, I couldn't really substantiate any of those claims. And that's not to say that they're not true, they very well may be, but I just wasn't able to find any concrete proof that that's the case. So for the time being, I'm going to keep my Roy Davis file in my folder of suspects. But I think we've dug as far as we can dig in regards to Roy Davis, short of the DNA that was recovered from the burial site being tested, or the prosecution trying to make a case against Roy Davis, I don't think that there's a lot more we can do with him for the time being. So for now, we need to continue our search and move on to our next suspect. Two weeks from today, we'll be returning to a suspect that for a time has dropped off of some of our radars. Hay's boyfriend at the time that she went missing. Don. We're going to continue on with the plan of addressing a new suspect every week and looking in detail at each one of them. The reason that we'll be discussing Don two weeks from today rather than next week is simply because I want to leave room in next week's episode to discuss whatever it is that is revealed tomorrow on Undisclosed. All indications are that this is going to be a groundbreaking episode, and I want to make sure that we give the Don episode the time that it deserves. So next week on The Serial Dynasty, we'll be discussing whatever it is that's revealed and undisclosed tomorrow. And aside from that, I've recently contacted someone who hasn't been heard from throughout the investigation of this case. I spent quite a bit of time this week speaking with Neighbor Boy. Next week on The Serial Dynasty. For all of you, I want to thank you, as always, for listening to this episode and helping to support the show by sending your thoughts and theories in and talking about the Serial Dynasty to your friends and family and talking about us on social media. As I mentioned at the opening of the show, as we build this audience, we put more minds together, and the more brains that we have working on this case, the closer we're getting to solving the murder of Heyman Lee. Thanks to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all of the music for the show. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing our logo. Thanks to Jill at Pod Transcription for generating all of our transcripts. And a quick side note about that, if you've been to the website, you've noticed that we haven't updated the transcripts in the last week or so. Uh, Jill was on vacation. We spoke today, and she's got episodes 15 and 16 almost complete, and then she's going to continue to work back from there. So keep checking out our website, SerialDynasty.com, and click the transcript link to view and download the transcripts from all of our shows. 
And a special thanks to Sean T. and Sean T. Fitness for funding this program. And again, I'll ask you to please help support our sponsor by at least visiting his website, SeanTFitness.com, and checking out all the things that he has to offer there. Don't forget, tomorrow night, Monday, to download Undisclosed Episode 10. I think this is going to be a big one. In the Episode 9 addendum, the team teased that they have a huge reveal tomorrow night, and I know I'll be listening right at 6 o'clock as soon as it drops. But as for now, I'm signing off, and until next week, this has been the Serial Dynasty. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.